0: And, you know, our our good saying that we always say is invest in what you know. So for a network of real estate investors that have been doing it for a while, they own multiple properties or they're in multiple syndications personally, they understand how the real estate investment world operates. So the transition from a personal investment to an IRA investment is really going to be the same. It's just the source of, of money is different. Uh, but for a new investor that's not up to date, they don't understand what.
1: You found the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional, or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation, and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com.
2: Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Law Podcast. My name is Rory Gill, and today we're going to be jumping into a topic that i am only familiar with tangentially, and that is breaking into your imprisoned retirement funds and using them for real estate and other investments. So I'm really happy to have Tony Uncle here on the podcast to walk us through some of the options that you might have for that, self-directed IRAs and other ways that you can unlock your retirement accounts for your own personal investment. So thanks, Tony. Thanks for being here.
0: Thank you, Rory. Thank you for having us. Very excited to talk about this topic that not many people utilize.
2: Yeah. You know, before I break into the technicalities and the details of this, tell me a little about yourself, who you are, um, your company, and what you do on a daily basis.
0: Sure. My name is Tony Uncle. I am the business development manager for the Northeast Territory for the Entrust Group. The Entrust Group is a self-directed IRA record keeper, custodian, and administrator. We're based out of Oakland, California. We have about 23,000 individual clients, a little over $4 under administration. We provide the retirement accounts and the vehicles that allow individuals to completely diversify their retirement savings. Uh, Your typical retirement plans are your company-sponsored 401ks or your your brokerage IRAs. With our IRAs, uh, we take it a step further and allow you to go into the alternative asset space. Something that we don't provide is any type of advice, whether that's legal, investment, or tax advice. So you really are in full control of your retirement investments with the main asset, you know, held in these accounts happens to be a real estate in any form.
2: Okay. So when I opened up the, the podcast and introduced you, I talked about um, having your retirement funds kind of locked into these arrangements. And that's the way that I've come to think of it. Um, whether that's the right way to think of it or not, I don't know, but for a lot of the people who are listening who might be interested in, you know, financial independence, retiring early, um, kind of taking control of their assets, having money locked away into an IRA or 401k can feel relatively daunting. There certainly are tax advantages, um, and everybody should take a look at those closely. I'm, you know, a huge proponent of other things like HSAs, but keeping the the money in there really limits what you can do with it or So I thought, so tell me about a little bit, you know, before I jump into the technicalities and how to do it and everything, if somebody were to engage a company like yours to have a self-directed investment portfolio, what are some of the other investment opportunities that that opens up for them?
0: Absolutely. Um, There's too many. So what we like to talk about a lot of times is not what you can invest in. We like to simplify it down to what you're not allowed to invest in. And if it doesn't fall into one of these categories, it's investable. So the IRS does not allow you to invest in any S corporation. They do not allow you to invest in collectibles, liquor, artwork, and coins. There is an expansion on that. So you can't hold a bottle of wine in your self-directed IRA, but you can invest in a vineyard. You can't hold a painting in your IRA, but you can invest in an art gallery. And the last thing you're not allowed to invest in is insurance policies specifically life insurance. So with your IRA, if it doesn't fall into that category, you can do it. Some of the common investments are private placement investments, real estate in all forms, whether that's buying a property directly and holding a rental property or a fix and flip, or going into a syndication. You can invest in real estate notes. You can lend money. You can do tax liens. Really, if you name it, you can do it. All right. So that's
2: interesting. So you can't do s So You can't use your IRA to turn around and fund your small business um, sure. the business that gives you active income um, and you can't break open your retirement to access collectibles and you know fund things for yourself and kind sure. of that sort of thing. I know we're kind of real estate centric podcast so a lot of our investments seem to to go there can you invest let me ask a couple questions about that can you invest in real estate abroad or does it need to be in the United States?
0: you can invest in real estate anywhere in the world. Um, obviously, if there's common trade between the two countries, you can make that investment.
2: Oh, wow. Okay. So that's taking a lot of the 1031 exchange rules and kind of putting them in my head, but this is a little bit broader than that. So you really can just break open the piggy bank and do it there. All right. So that's a a great thing. Now, when we break into these other investment classes, who should be considering this and really who shouldn't be considering, you know, making a portion of the retirement fund self-directed?
0: Uh, that comes along a little bit on the advice, so I have to be careful how I answer that question. But, you know, self-directed IRAs theoretically are for anybody. Um, mm-hmm. With the multiple different crowdfunding platforms out there, And you know, for example, I'll just throw one out there like a start engine, you know, you can have a minimum of a $50 investment, $500 investment. And, you know, if one of those companies takes off and it's a nice return, why not have a, a tax advantage retirement account? A lot of our limited partnerships, you know, private equity deals, you have to be a accredited investor. So that's going to be geared to, I don't want to say the older generation, because there are a lot of younger accredited investors. But you need that that net worth and you need that significant type of retirement account. So it's usually somebody that's a little more seasoned through life, through their employment. Uh, they left a couple of jobs. They've amassed a nice retirement savings through 401ks over the year, which they were able to roll into an IRA to make these investments. So anybody can open one. uh, Regulations, it's going to be the same as your traditional or your Roth IRAs at a brokerage account, the same rules, same regulations. So they are available to everybody. Your specific investment is going to fit your specific need.
2: Okay. And I guess without putting thresholds in there, kind of what I hear hinted at from the edges is that if you have a really small retirement account, maybe this isn't right for you if when you factor in administration costs, the other things and the lack of materiality um, and somebody who may have a bigger nest egg uh, might be a better fit for a self-directed portion of there.
0: Correct. You know, you always want to run your investment, you know, investment amounts and your possible returns and balance that off with the fees you're going to be paying. So for, you know, fees, every custodian is different. Some have an asset-based fee, some have a uh, account and value-based fee. So when you're working out your fees and you see it's taking up a majority of your investment, it's probably not the best thing for you to do. Okay.
2: And, um, you know, similarly, I hear, you know, over and over that, you know, you don't, your company doesn't give advice to people. Right. And kind of what I extrapolate from that is something like this might be a better fit for somebody who either has a good network of support and advisors or somebody who really is willing to, you know, to do the work and the research to understand what they're doing because my, by, by making it self-directed, you're taking some of the guardrails away that a traditional IRA might have for you.
0: Correct, and you know our our good saying that we always say is invest in what you know. So for a network of real estate investors that have been doing it for a while, they own multiple properties or they're in multiple syndications. Personally, they understand how the real estate investment world operates. So the transition from a personal investment to an IRA investment is really going to be the same. It's just the source of of money is different. Uh, but for a new investor that's not up to date, they don't understand what they're doing. We always strongly suggest they consult with either their tax advisor, their financial advisor or an attorney before entering into any alternative investment. So they also have risks. Um, as a custodian and record keeper administrator, we also don't do due diligence on the investments, So that falls down to the investor as well. So you you want that network of professionals if you're not comfortable doing it yourself. You know, I kind of keep. I've been saying for
2: shorthand, we're talking about self-directed IRAs. Am I right to think of that are we talking kind of only about the IRA vehicle or do the other investment plans uh, work for self-directed um, portions, too?
0: Well, all retirement accounts can do it as well. We offer obviously the IRAs. So your traditional and Roth IRA, your simple IRAs, health savings account and educational savings accounts as well. Uh, If you're an owner of a company and you sponsor a company-wide 401k plan and you want to put that 401k plan into the alternative space as well, we do have the capability to record keep that asset within your company-wide 401k also. And then on the 401k space, we also offer the individual 401k. Some may call it a solo 401k. Okay. You're not Um, stuck to your traditional Roth IRAs.
2: Okay. So it's a little bit more expensive than there, but I would say the vast majority of what you do is probably the, the IRAs. Is that Absolutely, right? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. You know, backing up a little bit and to talking about, you know, IRAs more generally, as I laid it out, we're talking about money that's kind of locked into um, a certain kind of account until your retirement. What are the advantages? Why do people want to put these funds into a restricted controlled account instead of just using the, making this an investment on the
0: side? For company 401ks, the benefits is the employer match. So mm-hmm. if you're doing this on your side, you're not getting that employer match, which if you look at the grand scheme of things, could be free money, one way to look at it. And they're supposed to be growing over 30 years. So you're going to lose out on you know, that, that match over 30 years to really grow your retirement nest egg.
1: We'll be right back.
2: Every other real estate rental property deal analysis spreadsheet is wrong. The only spreadsheet that correctly analyzes your real estate deals taking into account reserves, true cash flow, including depreciation, and your true net equity on a property is the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet
0: from the Real Estate Financial Planner. Download a free copy today and finally start analyzing your rental properties correctly. Go to
2: refp.info forward slash free to download it today. Okay. So there's the, you know, the employer match and then the, you know, for a small business owner like myself, there are are tax advantages to taking that money and, you know, reducing the taxable liability now. Um, as opposed to Roths, which I, love for um, a lot of people so long as you're eligible for it. Um, And so why would somebody want to do, um, use a a Roth vehicle? um, And then why would they want to turn that into a self-directed
1: Roth
0: IRA? Sure. Well, Roth IRAs are great because you don't pay taxes on your distributions. You're paying your taxes on the contribution to the IRA. So all of your gains over those years, when you disperse that at retirement age, will be tax-free. So there's a potential to grow Significant wealth within a Roth IRA, Roth 401k, Roth HSA, anything like that.
2: Okay, and then you know, with these investments, they're they're controlled. So you talked about some of the things that you can't do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I found kind of noteworthy from your materials are that there are certain people that the the account is prohibited from transacting Correct. with. Who are those people, and why is that a rule?
0: Sure. Those are called disqualified persons, and those disqualified persons will be yourself and your lineal descendants. So yourself, your parents, your grandparents, your children, your grandchildren, and all spouses associated with those individuals. You are not allowed to enter a transaction with any of those within your IRA. Why it's prohibited? Most of those could be the beneficiary of the IRA or directly benefit from that investment today. And that's these retirement accounts are for retirement age and take a little step further, one of the prime examples of a disqualified person, especially in the rental market, is if you have children in college or you want that vacation home and your IRA purchases it, you are disqualified or prohibited from renting that to a family member. So if it's at a college university, you can't buy a off-campus housing and rent it out to your child while they're there. If it's a vacation home and on a tropical location, you can't have that to your IRA or rent it out for, you know, 50 weeks and then go spend two weeks yourself there that's a direct benefit today so actually tell
2: me about that so if you use this to purchase a second home or kind of an airbnb short-term rental operation, you are prohibited from staying there is Correct. That
0: right you're not only you're prohibited from staying there you're prohibited from a, providing any what they call sweat equity so you can't paint walls you can't change light bulbs you can't cut the grass uh, you would have to hire a third party non-disqualified party to do that And paid for with uh either your ira funds or the income you generated from that asset so it's best any ira-owned property keep an arm's length distance from that at all times
2: so actually that's news to me so even you know you know as a short-term uh rental investor i've kind of used to going into a space and hiring out the big things but going out there and you know arranging things for myself the first time certainly painting um and that kind of transaction is not a good fit for this
0: according to the irs code that is correct It's a violation.
2: All right. And so you're also, I guess that answers the other question I had um, pre-written for you is, you know, in, I'm used to, for tax purposes, thinking about maintenance days and you go to a short-term rental. If you go up there for the purpose of maintaining the property, then it doesn't count as a personal fair use day. But you're saying here that all of that's prohibited.
0: Well, that's all. Any sweat equity or any direct involvement in that property is a prohibited transaction.
2: What does enforcement look like for for things like that, and how it what would be the consequence if somebody made a mistake, used it used the property the wrong way, or engaged in an improper transaction?
0: Sure, any prohibited transaction is going to have a penalty. It's a distribution of your retirement account, and the whole account becomes taxable. Usually, when there is a prohibited transaction with a disqualified party, there could be a fine levied. Every case is different. We really have to sort exact IRS cases where this has happened. Um, are people violating it? I'm sure they are is the risk worth the reward? Absolutely not.
2: Okay. So, you know, so I'm kind of picturing a a different thing here. So this is certainly not, you know, you have an opportunity to buy a family property and turn it into a rental property that um, is improper. It's not a good fit for really active investors who want to get out there um, and put in sweat equity. So, you know, a lot of the people that work with, but um, I'm picturing kind of the Interstate investments where you uh, live in the Northeast and might buy a property in the South, um, where from the very beginning, you're in the habit of hiring a property manager to manage.
0: Correct. That works perfectly fine. And, you know, it's not saying you can never take possession of the property. You can own that. You know, I'm in the Northeast as well. So South Florida is the go-to retirement destination. Mm -hmm. So theoretically speaking, if I were to purchase a home in South Florida in my IRA today, I would keep that as a rental property until my retirement age. And then at that time, I take the property as my distribution, where we retitle the property from the IRA to myself personally. Uh, if it's a traditional IRA, I'll pay tax on that distribution, which is the property value. And then at that time, I'm free and to move into that property.
2: So that's interesting. So that actually opens up. My early question of, you know, who should be doing this to kind of a broader range of people, um, people who have, who are planning for their retirement in more than just one way. So if you have the opportunity to buy that condo in South Florida, we've kind of talked about now a little bit of the specifics. Can you, you know, share, you know, without disclosing client information, but some ways that you've seen this, you know, seen clients use a self-directed IRA?
0: Sure. Um, I mean, the kind of the example I just gave, we've have had multiple of my clients buy that either South Florida, Costa Rica, Mexico property. And those are like the three big vacation spots that we see. They've either Airbeat and beat it, fix it and flipped it, or, you know, held it on for the rental. And then they t- they took that distribution when they turned 59 and a half, mm-hmm. or they started taking partial distributions over the years. So you don't have the big tax burden all at once. And then they were able to successfully retire in that resort location without having to go out and buy a property that day. So they were able to earn some income off of that over X amount of years and then retire with that income in the property.
2: With these, we talked about you know who should be doing it in the context of who should be using their their IRA to purchase a rental property in their, you know, that that's theirs to, to indirectly control. Mm-hmm. But this opens up the using a self-directed ira opens things up to a wider range of people kind of always wondered where some people get the money to sure. make relatively big contributions to um, syndication deals to to lend money out um as you know small-scale lenders um you know, i've always been curious where people pull this money from
0: where is the money coming from <laughs> where's the money coming from um, so yeah so what's such a little contribution rules real quick so mm-hmm. if you're starting from scratch and your first IRA is going to be a self-directed IRA for alternative investments, you're under the age of 50, you can only contribute $6,000 to that account this year. Uh, next year, it bumps up to $6,500. If you're over 50 years old, the IRS is nice enough to give you an additional $1,000, so you can contribute $7,000. You're not buying a whole lot with $7,000. So where do mm-hmm. these six-figure self-directed IRAs come from? Well, they come from your 401ks which is why I mentioned earlier that most of our clients are towards the older generation where you've built up that six-figure 401k from your old jobs. And then you can actually access that money. You roll it out of the old company plan into a self-directed IRA. No taxes, no penalties with that rollover. And now you have your six-figure self-directed IRA to go out and deploy as you wish. Okay. Or you have IRAs from when you were younger at you know your brokerage account that's been in the market and they were significantly able to grow over years where you've amassed a um, nice sized ira we'll just say you know, like a control schwab or something from there you could liquidate that account transfer the cash over to the self-directed ira no tax no penalty and then deploy that into the alternative space
2: okay so you're not going to you know as a w-2 employee open up an IRA, throw in six thousand dollars and wait a hundred years for you to get enough money to to
0: really have it'll take you some time to amass that. Yes.
2: Okay. So the bulk of it's coming from um you know 401k rollovers. Um 401k rollovers
0: or significant IRA transfers. Now where how those IRA transfers originated at one point somebody did at a certain age open an account and make the minimum contribution and they invest it in compound interest over years. Was able to have them grow so if you're listening and you're 18 19 20 years old no retirement account there's nothing stopping you from opening a an ira whether traditional or Roth roth and make those contributions and start growing it so when you get to a certain age you'll have that nice lump sum to be able to deploy into other assets
2: okay and then um you know for for business owners um there are some other ways to get some money into the account at a faster pace than 6,000 a year. Is that right?
0: Correct. Yeah. Depending on what type of retirement account you have, you know, each one has different contribution limits.
2: Okay. And then, you know, kind of the other thing that struck me about using these, the self-directed IRAs is there appears to be an administrative burden. Every time um, you want to use money or in the case of an investment property, um, uh, just pay the bills for the property sure. in some ways it's like going to your parents and asking for allowance money to 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 pay the electric bill um mm-hmm. kind of like the worst combination of being a child and being an adult um but um is that right or is it administratively a little bit difficult to
0: sometimes use the money depends on your custodian and what your custodian offers that's why it's always best to do your due diligence and really understand the company that you're going to choose to work with and what options they have available to you. So there are two ways for an IRA to purchase a property. One is the direct purchase, and the other is what's called a checkbook IRA. I'll touch on the direct purchase to start, and then we'll cover the checkbook. A direct purchase means you go out and you find whatever property you're investing in, come to a verbal agreement on the purchase price. You would send your custodian the purchase contract. We sign as the buyer on behalf of you. And then we release the funds uh, for your earner's money deposit at closing and anything else that needs to be paid for that property. If it's a rental and your IRA is collecting rent, your tenants will pay your IRA, meaning they're mailing a check to us every month. And we're going to deposit that. Um, You got to pay your property taxes, HOAs, utilities, any repairs. Yes, you have to upload an invoice to our portal and then we will cut a check out to that appropriate party. Could be burdensome. Could take a little bit of time. You don't have direct access to your funds. Um, We solve that issue by what we have is called a My Direction debit card. It's a debit card that we provide to you that's pre-filled with your retirement funds. So if there's an expense that you need to pay for immediately, you can just use that debit card. And then you would go to our portal, upload the invoice, and certify the transaction. So we kind of give you the ability to pay for things without having us involved. Uh, certain things that don't take debit cards and, you know, it's checks only or wires only, then yes, you need to get the custodian involved. Good part about that is you're out of the tra- out of the process. We're doing the record keeping and the administration of that property. So there's not much for you to fall back on. And I think, as you know, it gives you a lot more access is what's called the checkbook IRA. Checkbook IRA, also known as an IRA LLC, is you'll go out and you'll form a single member, manager, manage LLC. Your IRA is that sole member you personally are the manager you then go to your local bank and you open a bank account in the name of the llc you will make a private placement investment from your ira into that llc uh, meaning you provide us the operating agreement we'll sign off on it we will wire the funds to your llc bank account now your llc is funded you as the manager of that llc have full capabilities to go out and write your own checks you are completely in charge of all investments LLC pays all the expenses, LLC co- uh, collects all the income. There would be no interaction between you and your custodian when using the IRA LLC. That sounds wonderful, but it
2: sounds a little risky for certain people because then it sounds like the onus to, to comply with all the rules then falls uh, on the individual. You know, And if they don't keep their books the right way, if they use the funds inappropriately, they're jeopardizing the tax advantage
0: status of the correct. whole thing. Mm -hmm. which is our big statement is invest in what, you know, invest in what you're comfortable with. So if you're going to go out there and you're not sure what to do or how to handle these things, then it's definitely not for you. And again, there's not gonna be any oversight from us within that LLC. We're here to educate and answer any questions we have, uh, but there'll be no advice or telling you how you should or shouldn't do something. So the risk is all on you and you're in full control.
2: Okay. So it sounds like it's a, a good opportunity for, for some, um, But, you know, and maybe a lot of the people that that we speak with who are deeply involved in real estate might know the space well enough um, to to do it correctly. But um, beware of the rule that you can't go out there and put in your own sweat sweat equity. You can't be um, as active as you might be with some of your other investments.
0: And you definitely can't use your funds personally within that LLC. That's a high risk as well. So now you have a bank account with X amount of dollars at your disposal you have to follow IRS rules around IRA investing.
2: As someone who kind of came into the short-term rental space relatively informally first and then a lot more structured later on, I kind of look back and see how a lot of the funds early on were sloshing through the personal checking account back and forth in a way that's completely legal, totally fine, but it's it it opens you up to kind of a, a set of bad habits where you maybe can't even capture or fully understand how an investment's performing. Um. So if this is something that you see in your future, uh, I'd imagine you want to maybe start having good accounting and discipline with the investments you have in your own name.
0: And it's having that trusted team around you as well. So if you can rely on accountants and advisors, you're going to benefit a lot more
2: okay. if and you're
0: then- not capable of doing it yourself.
2: Um, Just kind of breaking um, the real estate mold just a little bit. If you wanted to take some of this money, invest it in a friend's company or something like that, that's also perfectly. Could you then take an active role in that company if your friend runs an ice cream shop and you also want to uh, to help them with, you know, as a manager of the ice cream shop? Are you allowed to do that or is that a prohibited transaction?
0: Practically, yes, possibly no. So the IRS also defines a disqualified person as any business owner who has 50% or more controlling interest in a company, has 50% or more voting power on a board, or is considered a highly compensated employee. So it all depends on the structure within that firm. But again, number one statement, always seek legal or tax advice before entering into any type of transaction, especially a transaction which you could potentially benefit from directly.
2: All right. Oh, I love that answer. The the it depends, and you should definitely seek skilled uh, counsel. That's how we could cap off any um, podcast. Um, before I kind of shift over to you know wrapping things up and ask the final questions, um, how did you come to discover this space and um, this as a career path?
0: Sure. I started in the four hundred and one k world. Uh, I worked for a four hundred and one k insurance company for many years. I did a lot of traveling, a lot of conferences, a lot of networking. I never thought that I coming out of college, I'd wind up in retirement plans mm-hmm. off the bat. could be boring. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of excitement around it, but it blew me away when I was traveling and I was going out and seeing the thousands and thousands of people that work in this industry with all one common goal is to making sure American retirement dollars are safe, secure, so we have that money to survive when we're no longer working. 90, maybe I don't want to throw percentages out there, but a the majority of people, that's going to be their only source of income when they start working. So to have an organizations and you know individuals around that, that their main goals to make sure that we have that money to survive, that was something that I really, really fell in love with and wanted to pursue. I made the switch over to Entrust about five years ago. Uh, I was looking just for to do a little more, a little more expansive role, working with uh, different types of retirement accounts, different types of investors. This is a completely different world than the, the vanilla 401k world every conversation I have, every client that I have, everybody is different, different background, different walk of life, different financial status, different investment type. And you really, really learn a lot about the investing world. And you are still able to help people knowing that they're growing their future, not only for themselves, but their future generations. Because a lot of these retirement accounts do get inherited. Mm -hmm. So the conversations you have is about my child is X years old, what happens to them when I pass? And you know they're difficult conversations To have with a client, we're talking about when they're no longer going to be here, but you can see all the different families that are really setting up generations of success and it's rewarding.
2: So, I mean, I imagine your client, do you end up having to collaborate then with, um, you know, estate attorneys, other financial advisors, um, business advisors, and kind of working as a pretty comprehensive team to make this a, a strong reality?
0: Correct. So, depending on the individual we're talking to, some may have a team around them, some may have family offices that run their finances. Um, Mostly all have some sort of advisor that we do talk to. But we talk to a lot of individuals by themselves without those teams. And as long as we're giving the proper education, answering their questions properly, they've been pretty successful. Uh, In terms of who we work with or who we engage with, it's anybody from any financial part of the the financial world. So there's investment sponsors, real estate agents, brokers, financial advisors, uh, new startup company, business owners. We we really do speak with almost every aspect of, of the working force.
2: Okay, great. Um, all right. So before I um, before we let everybody know how they can reach out um, and contact you, um, I do want to ask you the final questions that we ask of all of our guests, starting with, you know, a bit of your expertise. So if you had to you know give a presentation for 30 minutes on any topic, but with zero preparation, uh, what would that topic be?
0: It's a good question so outside of retirement plans uh, my passion is sports uh, i'm a diehard yankee fan diehard jet fan so with no preparation and nothing i could probably go 30 minutes on how the yankees can get back to their winning ways from 20 years ago and everything that's gone wrong in the past 20 years mm-hmm. um, that's just something that you know, i'm really really passionate about i spend a lot of time and energy in that organization and with that sport in general so I think I would do a stellar presentation on anything revolving properly managing and running the New York Yankees. All
2: right. Well, I hope you're not successful with that. But <laughs> <laughs> what's something that happened, you know, earlier on in your life that affects the way um, you do business or live today?
0: Sure. I started in the hospitality industry, uh, working in restaurants, both front of house, back of house, when I was younger. And I really think that experience from working in your small mom and pop shops to working in high and high end steakhouses where I finished before I made the jump to the retirement world. I want to say I learned a lot in that space, how to deal with people, how to read with people, how to communicate, uh, how to be responsible, how to multitask. I really think that sent the groundwork for me to be successful in what, in what I do now. Uh, I also think it's an industry that everybody at some point in their life should cross over because it really gives you the skills you need to succeed, not only in a sales role, but I think in the
1: real world.
2: And I think, you know, as a broader thing to a lot of people kind of find this because they are aspiring real estate investors or, or you know, want to work independently as a real estate agent. That work that you've done from your, your first part-time job um, through your W-2 work, I mean, all of that is incredibly valuable. You've mm-hmm. learned real skills and don't underappreciate that. Sure. and then finally what's um something that you're watching reading or listening to these days
0: uh a lot of true crime podcasts uh nothing really specific off the top of top of the head that i dive into i listen to a lot of rogan uh, and now that uh yankee season ended miserably i could probably get back into into tv mm-hmm. uh, i'm a bad habit of rewatching shows. shows uh, obviously my one of my favorite shows is the sopranos so i think i'm just started that again, probably for the 15th time. Other than that, you know, my Jets are five and two, so I spend a lot of time in front of uh, football. Not much uh, book reading, not a lot of time. I have a two year old, so he keeps us up and running around and, and busy a lot of the times so around eight, nine o'clock. I'm absolutely shot for the day. But, you know, like a lot of sports, a lot of true kind podcasts.
2: And a lot of our. Uh, arth- Three year old, you know, keeps me from being able to uh get into anything too much. In Correct. fact, you know, and shows that I
0: watch have been done for seasons and seasons. So, um, so I'm waiting for succession to come back. So we got some time next year. Um big into that show. But I found that I'm watching a lot more TV on my phone, but the little one has the monster television to watch <laughs> We retired Tokamel and we're on to Curious George now. So um, <laughs> constantly that something's constantly going on in the house.
2: Yeah, we, we moved past Melon a little bit ago, but it's a lot of like Mickey Mouse.
0: Yeah, right so he was on Mickey uh, around one, but, you know, he's very smart. He can scroll YouTube himself. So if he gets access to the TV with a computer, he knows how to find what he wants to find. So luckily, it's the Melon theme song. It just it was embedded in my head for way too long. and I'm just so happy we're past that.
2: All right. Well, congratulations on getting past that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you yeah. know, so um, if if people listening or watching uh, want to connect with you um, and discuss what you know whether this is a good fit for them, how can they reach out to you?
0: Sure, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. You can search under either the Entrust Group or my name, Tony Uncle. You can visit our website, theentrustgroup.com. Feel free to call or email. All contact information is on the website. Uh, again, I'm located in the East Coast. I'm in New Jersey available monday to friday just give me a call shoot me an email i'm happy to connect
2: all right thanks um so that was tony uncle with the entrust group e-n-t-r-u-s-t the entrust group.com i was trying to clarify it but i'm making it worse for everybody my name is rory gill um you can find me through my real estate brokerage next home Titletown. town next home title or my law practice urban village legal urban village legal.com thanks tony thanks for everybody listening. Uh, listening do the whole like, subscribe, and everything. Um, We look forward to seeing you next time.
0: Thanks, Rory. It's a pleasure. Take
2: care. Thanks, Tony.
1: This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Titletown, greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And urban village legal massachusetts real estate council serving savvy property owners lenders and investors more at urbanvillagelegal.com today's conversation was not legal advice but we hope you found it entertaining and informative discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com thank you for listening